Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm your host, Mad Schmoll. In this episode, we're speaking with Ian Sterling and Paddy Fletcher, the founders of Port of Leith Distillery. The distillery is just a stone's throw away from our spiritual home, the vaults, and next door to the Royal Yacht Britannia. Standing at nine storeys, it's Scotland's first vertical distillery, but the innovation doesn't stop there, as we're about to find out. So it's been quite the journey um, for Port of Leith Distillery. Tell us a bit about the story so far. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's been a, well, I think we're coming up to our 10th year of this journey. Um, uh, and, and still no distillery. No, indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're almost there, almost there. Um, but, uh, well, Paddy and I are lifelong friends. We grew up together in Edinburgh. Um, and in our 20s, we found ourselves uh, working in London um, in thankless jobs um, and developing a, an ever-increasing passion for whiskey. And that got a little bit out of hand, and we ended up sort of uh, experimenting with elements of whiskey production in our back garden together. Um, and through that, learnt uh, a number of things about whiskey production that led us, sort of inspired us to, to want to make our own whiskey. Um, and that, that was the sort of the seed. And, and as we were doing that, um, we also, you know, as two, two, two friends from Edinburgh, realised that at the time there wasn't a whiskey distillery in Edinburgh. Um, so, so we had this sort of combined dream of doing something quite special with whiskey and doing it in our home city of Edinburgh. Um, and so began the glacial endless process of trying to build this whiskey distillery. And it really kicked off, um, I was working in the wine industry at the time, Paddy uh, had become an accountant and I was working as a financial director for various startups. Um, but I was having lunch one day with one of my biggest clients from the wine world and we were just talking about future dreams and aspirations and I said, oh, I, you know, what I really want to do is build a whiskey distillery. And he went, ooh, I'll fund it. And all of a sudden, we actually had someone who was prepared to put some money behind this idea, and Paddy and I went from having this sort of vague dream to trying to make this thing a reality. Um, there's been an awful lot of uh, uh, <laughs> changes along the way, and that investor has long since disappeared, and, and you know, uh, there have been all sorts of trials and tribulations. But that's where it began, I think it's fair to say, and, and uh, we've been on a bit of a roller coaster ever since. I think the Edinburgh thing is, was really crucial from the start because. <clears throat> That investor that Ian mentioned, his major, uh, the, the first thing he wanted to do was see a business plan. And so <clears throat> I sat there on a, on a train, you know, the day after Ian gave me this news, trying to put this spreadsheet together. And the biggest problem with building a brand new whiskey brand is you spend a huge amount of money up front to create a building, to put your stills in place, to hire your team, and then you can't sell anything for several years. And even after it's three years old, you kind of want to wait maybe seven, eight, ten, you know. So your working capital is horrific. You've got no cash flow. And the kind of classic ideas of, of, of we'll just make gin and that'll cover it, don't really work anymore, or if they ever did. I think mm. that's a bit of a, a myth. And what Edinburgh offered us was this opportunity to produce a much more... Um, interesting visitor experience than I think the whiskey industry had, had been doing up to that point. I think since we've you know been through this process, a lot of new things have popped up in, 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 in whiskey tourism and I think you know certainly some of our, our much larger competitors have, have poured millions of pounds into creating new experiences. But we always thought that Edinburgh gets a huge number of tourists. Those tourists need things to do if you can give them a really high quality really interesting experience that you wouldn't get elsewhere, that creates a flow of, of cash that, that helps you in those early years when you have nothing to sell. 
Absolutely. And you're based in Leith now. So mm. what about the decision to choose Leith? Was that deliberate? Uh, it was, yeah. Um, I, I think it, it, it was partly from a practical consideration. We always wanted to build uh, a modern piece of architecture. Um, uh, we didn't set out to build a vertical distillery per se, but we, we knew that we were a new young company and we wanted a building to reflect that. And when you're looking at places in Edinburgh where you could build a large modern uh, uh, whiskey distillery, Leith felt like uh, there was still that opportunity. There was still the, um, the, the, the sites down here where, where you could make that happen. But furthermore, um, you know, the, the more we dug into it, we found Leith is where all the heritage was. Um, and, um, you, you know, uh, Leith was at one point really the epicenter of the whiskey industry. Um, and so it felt like the natural home for a whiskey distillery in Edinburgh. Um, and uh, yeah, sure enough, uh, we, we, we managed to make it happen. Um, I think we, we snuck in just in time. Ever since we've been sniffing around trying to find land in Leith, we had various ideas on, on bits of brown fields we, we used to see and even having got to get to the point of negotiating with the landowners they would suddenly turn around and say oh I'm sorry I just sold that for flats better luck next time and, and ever since you know we started almost every bit of land that we've is around us is, has now got a plan for someone to build a huge number of, of homes on it so we, I think we were the last Last, last dance in Leith <laughs> for something that's not another block of flats. And in terms of other layout, because obviously it's quite unique and it's, quite, it's got quite a small footprint, um, tell us a bit about the vertical distillery and its layout and, um, and some of the opportunities and maybe some of the challenges that you faced as well. Sure, yeah. So the, the layout very much is a product of the site. I mean, it, it, go back six, seven years, we actually been offered a different site also in Leith and we designed a whole other distillery that was far more sensibly laid out. It was more, more your sort of traditional uh, horizontal uh, for, formation. Uh, we lost that site and eventually um, the owners of Ocean Terminal showed us this little site um, and when we looked at it we saw it was perfect because from the commercial perspective that Paddy was just talking about, about you know, uh, uh, getting uh, revenues from visitors, this site was right next to the Royal Yacht Britannia. So we knew as, as two sort of startup founders with no background in running a whiskey distillery, we knew that investors would look at that site and go, well, you know, whether or not they can get the whiskey working, they should get visitors there but it was a postage-sized uh, site, it was so small. Um, so it very quickly became apparent that the only way to, to make whiskey on that site was to build vertically. Um, we were gonna have to build a, a vertical distillery, um, which has been enormously challenging. Um, uh, not just uh, because of the verticality, but also we're building an extra harbour wall, which has produced all sorts of uh, engineering challenges. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, whiskey, di uh, whiskey distilling involves uh, an awful lot of liquid, um, which from a structural engineering perspective, um, in a site where you're getting gale force winds um, and hundreds of visitors moving through a building, um, has been, well, uh, from our uh, structural engineer's perspective, uh, probably the greatest challenge of his career. Um, so, so it has been uh, challenging. But it's also lent itself quite well to what we want to do. Um, first of all, the, there's, there is an elegance to it in terms of uh, the way that, that our production can be gravity-led, which actually you know, feels in, 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 innovative in one perspective, but actually harks back to how distilleries were once laid out. They used, you know, a hill to help drive the liquid uh, down through the distillery. So, so in, in a way, we're, we're harking back to a far more traditional format. Um, but then also from, from the perspective of uh, brand and visitor, 
um, we are creating a whiskey distillery that will be, uh, we hope, you know, uh, immediately recognisable as the Port of Leith distillery, very um, sort of unique in, in, in terms of Scotland, um, and create a visitor experience that will be unlike any other in the way that, that visitors can experience the, the production process, which is just intrinsic in, in, the, ar in the architecture of the building. Um, in terms of the, the, the production process, um, there have been challenges, but actually it, it, it's, it lends itself pretty well um, in that regard. It's, uh, as I say, it's an elegant process and, and one from which our, our whiskey um, uh, distillers is quite uh, keen to get his teeth into. I think, yeah, right I, I think in, in terms of the sort of unforeseen consequences that you sort of miss, you know, Ian mentioned the structural engineering issues, you've got effectively all of the, 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 the liquid has to be all pumped up to the fifth floor. And then it kind of trickles down through through the process, but you know it's not you know small amounts. It's not like turning a tap. You've got seven tons of liquid in a tank, and you're moving that across the building in the space of ten minutes into its next stage, whilst moving another seven tons in a different direction. All the while, you've got force ten from the North Sea hitting you in the face, um, and tour group passing through. So you know the the, the 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 quantity of steel required to kind of keep the thing grounded. It, 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 if anything, the engineers said to us, you know, we need to make this building heavier to make sure that it's got enough grounding that it doesn't you know end up kind of swaying or or, or moving so much that you end up with little you know cracks on the on the foundations. One of the other things that was interesting was about the heat because most distilleries are just in big open kind of barns and it's all flat. You know, with us on a on a tall building, and and the where the distilling process equipment is is across you know four floors, but upwards, you've got a big volume there. You know, the the floors are all made from open mesh grating, and there's 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 as much open space as we could get. We tried to re you know constantly reduce the number of floor plates, partly because they're expensive. You know, steel floor plating is is not cheap. But also just to create that volume and that experience when you walk in there to see all these tanks hanging from the sky and, and, and see that space. That then also creates a, a huge updraft um, from the ground floor where the, the main door is, which pulls up through the building as, as it gets warmer. And of course, all the heat on the bottom where the, where the stills are shoots up through this big volume and then exits through the, these kind of louvers on the side of the building, which in itself creates a really interesting little microclimate that you know we're still not sure how it's going to play out and, and our distillers are they're not nervous they're just kind of like we don't know what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's only so much you can model before you can uh, before you start yeah you've talked a lot about the um, the visitor experience and how it's special and unique um, what can visitors expect can you can you say anything about that just yet yeah, sure. I mean, it's something that we're working on a lot at the moment. Um, and I, I, I think the first thing to, to say is um, Patty and I always wanted to make sure that we weren't building um, you know, a visitor centre. Um, this building is uh, all about whisky production um, and we never want to lose that sense for visitors when they're in there. I, I think we've been for, perhaps a little bit frustrated in the past visiting distilleries and, and having the brand experience and not actually uh, feeling like you're, 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 you're yeah, somewhere where something's been made and you're, you're, you're not seeing behind the curtain. Um, so we wanted to make sure that people were getting as up close um, to the process as possible um, and, and uh, 
yeah, any time we look at sort of any audiovisual tricks or or any kind of you know um, visitor center uh, tricks that you might expect, we, we sort of back away from those and we, we, we prefer to go you know more analog um, than anything else. And and we are lucky that there is already so much there in terms of the the architecture of the building itself. Um, and you know we we also see ourselves very much you know still as a, a startup company. You know um, it, it's it's two friends who are incredibly passionate about whiskey. Um, who you know we're making a back garden and and have now managed to sort of upscale that into a distillery. But I think we want um, our visitors to sense the excitement we have about what we're doing and that journey that we've been on and we're going on um, in in terms of uh, uh, creating the portably single malt. So you know we're we're, we're very much you know going to begin by showing people how you make whiskey in your back garden. Um, not, not encouraging it, but you know, that, that's, that's the process that we went on and how that's evolved into the whiskey that we're now making um, in, in, in a whiskey distillery. And it's gonna be very focused on the, you know, going back to that garden. What we've discovered was, um, whilst you know, every whiskey distillery was always, always pointing us at the stills and the, and the water trickling off the, the, the glen or whatever it might be, we found by far the most challenging bit of making whiskey was the fermentation aspect. Um, you know, what, what grain do you use, how long do you ferment for, what yeast, etc. Um, that turned into a, a three-year research program with Harriet Watt University. Um, and uh, all that research is what we're taking with us into the into the whiskey distillery. So, yeah, for, from from those very sort of humble beginnings of two enthusiasts, um, it's then sort of showing the way that that uh, has sort of augmented into into a, a whiskey that's very uh, much fermentation fo uh, focused, um, and and a whiskey that we'd like to think is made in the distillery, not in the warehouse. Um, it, it's you know the, we're 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 making this whiskey mm. at the Portable Distillery. I think the other thing, although obviously we are very much fermentation focused as, as a brand, the thing that we've got at the beginning when we were kind of slightly light on on our own whiskies to, to share with, with visitors is to talk more about the kinds of products that, that uh, season the casks that people use. And I think, you know, everyone knows what, you know, about sherry whiskey and everyone knows about port finish and so on, but how many people then go away and, and drink sherry and, and try the port? And I think... For us, it's really exciting to be able to work very closely with the partners that we've found in Spain and Portugal who provide us with casks and to bring in their wines and use them as part of that tasting process to say, we've got this wonderful sherry whiskey, but this is the sherry that actually created that initial you know, flavor sensation in the cask to begin with. Now, now try the whiskey as well, and you can see the, the kind of the, the flavors moving through the, the process there. And I, and I think something that most whiskey distilleries kind of you know skip over is actually yes, it's a sherry cask whiskey, but the sherry is a really integral part of that. And why don't we talk about the sherry more and drink it because it's normally delicious and very underpriced. And we want to kind of use those as as, as interesting parts of the, the tasting at the end of the tour. Yeah, um, it's going to be an it's fair to say the tasting at the end of the tour is going to be extensive. Um, <laughs> That, that's another thing. I mean, when you go to a whiskey distillery and they give you one little sample at the end. I was going, why? You know, we got we got all these people who've come to visit the whiskey distillery. Let's give them a good old taste. They've paid to try your product. You know, let them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just going to rewind a second to something you said about whiskey making in your garden mm. um, at the start of the process. So it's fair to say you've been thinking about the whiskey making process for a while mm. um, and, and that that's kind of been in the works. Um, I noticed as well that you, you kind of take quite a close look at, also at all of your ingredients, including barley and, and future wood as well. So tell us a bit about how you've thought about these things and, and the timeline. I, a lot of it started from the fact that there's no instruction manual. You know, if you want to try and, you know, in the US it's a lot more common, or, or even in, in, in Europe, for people to, to make these kinds of products themselves at home. There is so little information out there that says, first you buy these five products, you put them together in this way, you buy this bit of equipment, and, and hey presto, you, you've, you've done it. And for us, so much of it was really just working out how the hell you even begin to do something that meant that when you're kind of shopping, you're looking at all these different ingredients and a lot of it comes from the you know, home brewing industry or, or um, you know, beer specifically, you're, you're still lost as to what to buy and how to use it. And I think for us, that's where the, the research project that Ian mentioned you know, came from was there are so many choices that you need to make and yet there's, there's, there's no information because of course, you know, distilling in this country has always been historically very protected as a as a kind of corporate function. You know, whereas you know in Germany and, and, and Eastern Europe more specifically, like there are hundreds and hundreds of, of home stills that are perfectly legal, and everyone cracks on and does their annual schnapps or, or whatever it might be. And I, and I think it's almost a, a shame in this country we don't have more of a tradition of that sort of homebrew you know effect because it does create this. Um, innovation cycle that people try things and maybe they don't work it's a lot cheaper to try it yourself as a hobby than it for you know for for companies to pour all this money into research and these big projects that end up going nowhere they, you know the companies get very conservative at the, the, the top end. it's all about yield and efficiency much more than it is about new product development mm. yeah i think it's fair to say you know if, if you're going to make a new whiskey that there's you know why, why just replicate what's come before i i think uh, Obviously, whiskey is governed by quite strict regulations, but within that, there's so much opportunity to um, to, to explore and try new things. Um, and, and really what we've done is just look at the whole process, unpick it, and ask ourselves, how can we do this bit better, or what, what opportunity is there to, 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 to enhance this? Um, so, uh, you know, fr from the grain um, it, itself, um, and, and that's, you know, we're not going to sit here and say we're going to have all the answers on day one. This is going to be a journey throughout our company's lifetime. But in that, we decided, well, if we are going to explore opportunities of grain, we need that relationship with the farmer. We need to be you know, working on that at an agricultural level. So we managed to set up a relationship where we're working with a single farm just outside Edinburgh, um, and we're going to be able to talk into how our grain has grown. Um, that's also part of uh, keeping the sort of the provenance of our whiskey, um, you know, as close to, to, to where we are ge geographically as possible, and cutting down the food miles as well. Um, so that's that that's the beginning of a relationship and something that that, that, that we will investigate through our lifetime. The, the the yeast is obviously something that we've been able to investigate a lot in a, you know in advance, and we we've been incredibly excited by what we found there, but also learn just how much more there is to learn as well you know there's a massive frontier of opportunity there and we're certainly not the only ones looking at it as well it's very exciting you know seeing 
uh, the, the, the explorations that are going on at other whiskey distilleries there as well. And then, yeah, with the, with the casks, I think that, that was almost as well, you know, our background in, in wine, we're both like, you know, great wine enthusiasts and, and thinking, you know, sherry, port, the, the, the massively significant roles these, these things play um, in, in the whiskey industry, but people don't talk about the wine. Um, and there was a real opportunity to, to make that link um, and to ensure as well that we're working with the best possible suppliers um, for, for those elements. So in, in, at every stage of the process, just unpicking it and thinking, how can we make this as good as possible and be able to enhance it and talk into it and, and influence it um, rather than just working with commodities. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's, there's a thing where when you're starting from, from scratch, you, you have a lack of tradition and heritage and legacy that all the big guys have. Um, but on the flip side, because you've got no traditional legacy, you can do what the hell you like. And so you, you get to craft that message from, from day one and, uh, and, and steer it how, how you want it to go. You don't inherit something that you don't, you know, it's like, oh, here's McCallum, don't break it. You know, it's more like, what, what the hell is Puddle You tell me. And you get to, to create that, that story for yourself, which is way more fun, I think, than, than, than just replicating what's, what's going on before. Um, and that allows us to, to have kind of slightly wacky ideas that we've, you know, what the vintages, for instance. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, we, I, think, I think what's happened is really, you know, it's almost advantageous that it's taken us 10 years to get to this process because it's allowed us to sort of grow into these ideas slowly but surely <laughs> um, and, and find the way. And, and I think if there's one word that, that sort of is going to summarize our approach to whiskey, I think it's the word new. Um, uh, you know, we, we are obviously new, but I, I think we want to continue to be new. We, we don't want to stand still with our whiskey. Um, and whilst, you know, uh, consistency uh, is probably a word that, that defines the, you know, the, the challenges of uh, making Scotch whiskey for most producers about achieving a consistent spirit year in, year out, that's something that we're going to set aside slightly. And, and in fact, we're, we're interested in evolving our whiskey year in, year out and continuing to learn, continuing to enhance, evolve uh, and improve our whiskey. And therefore, as Paddy just mentioned, yeah, we, we intend to release it in vintages. Um, so, you know, there the will be a 2023 vintage, 24 vintage, etc. We're not looking for wild fluctuations. You know, it's not going to be one year it's peated and the next year it's highly sherried. Um, we, we want to be making the best whiskey we can year in, year out. And that might mean, well, this year we've actually managed to do something at the agricultural level, you know, with, with the with the barley that's enhanced it in some way. Um, this year we're going to swap out that yeast we were using last year, bring in this one because we think it's bringing in slightly more uh, interesting flavours. The wood strategy last year, perhaps, you know, we feel it was a bit too sherry dominated, so we're just going to enhance that. And so we we, we hope, as we say, year in, year out, you will see an evolution um, and, and a journey with our whiskey that I think should be, you know, hugely intriguing. I mean, it's what it's one of the things we love about wine, um, you know, that variation year in, year out is, is fascinating and it drives you back again and again and again to mm. see um, what's come out of a vineyard. So why, why can't we do the same with whiskey? It's about giving people that excuse to come back. They, they tried the whiskey last year and, you know, you might have bought a beautiful bottle of whiskey one year and the next year you could buy exactly the same bottle of whiskey and you're like, well, I, I know what that one tastes like. Mm. Whereas with this vintage concept, what we're saying is that you're going to need to come back next year because it'll be slightly different and probably better. Mm. And that allows you to, to, to keep building up that relationship with with our whiskies so that you sit there and go, maybe this one wasn't so good as last year's one and for whatever reason, because maybe the climate had changed and the, there's a bit of a difference in the maturation profile of how the, 
the, the, the wood that has been grown. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. But it'll always change, and that's the kind of the fun part of it is, is giving people that excuse to come back and try this year's new release. I think one day they'll begin, God, the 2026, that was a really duff year, wasn't it? That's so much <laughs> <I've been> here. <laughs> yeah, we'll sell it all off for cleaning <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, that takes me on to when we last spoke to you, um, you're doing a lot of experimentation with the wash, um, which is the beer that's distilled into whiskey. Mm. What's happening these days? Is there still experimentation going on? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think we were probably in the midst of our research program at the time. And what, what we did there is we, we took 24 different yeasts and, you know, there, there was a, a wide ranging sort of research program to begin with, you know, looking at yeast that we use in wine and sake and beer and rum. Um, and so we selected those yeasts and then uh, Vicky, our research associate, um, did an incredible uh, uh, research program creating tiny uh, samples of spirits derived from each of these yeasts. Um, then of course we, we had our sort of evaluation of those spirits and selected our favourite seven. And then we took the two that we liked the most um, and uh, using the equipment of our friends at Glasgow Distillery, uh, we created a, a batch of spirit from each of those, so a full sort of commercial run with each of them. And that was partly um, to test that they could perform, you know, at, at a commercial level. It's fair to say we've set efficiency to one side, you know, that, that's not been the, the, the priority, but we also have to be able to make some whiskey you know, at the end of the day. So we needed to make sure it was going to do that. Um, and uh, th that's where we find ourselves. Um, uh, to, to be honest, at, at that point, like we thought, okay, we're ready in terms of our recipe to go into the whiskey distillery. But what we're building right now in the distillery is our own lab. So um, once we're in there um, and we start to, to ferment that ourselves, to distill it ourselves, um, we're gonna learn a whole lot more on our own equipment and then uh, be able to to continue that research um, you know, in perpetuity, um, essentially. We're, as I say, we're never gonna stop learning, um, never gonna stop experimenting and trying and, and swapping in different yeast. The yeast, world is an interesting one, you know, uh, different yeast strains emerge um, and, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll want to uh, give those a go as, uh, as, uh, as, as they become of that. And, and even, you know, uh, people go back to, to, to uh, yeast that were being used, um, you know, historically. So the, there's, yeah, it's an endless frontier of research that uh, uh, will continue mm. long before, uh, long after Paddy and I have, uh, you know. It, it, the yeast is such an interesting one because there's been an awful lot of talk in the industry around barley and the heritage hardy barley strains and and and, and provenance and, and terroir and all these, these sort of things and it's all about the the, the the barley and yet no one's really talking about yeast and which was astonishing for us because when we were doing those very early experiments at home yeast was one of the most confusing parts of the whole process how do you deal with it you know what, what do you do with it you know i remember looking at the first time that the CO2 was rising off our, our kind of little bucket of, of, of wash and it was like a really, really exciting moment because like, it worked, you know, we didn't kill them. Um, fast forward to the, the, the experiments we were doing at Harriet Watt, the variance in the different yeasts was, was huge. And, you know, Ian and I agree on almost nothing. And yet, of those 24 yeast strains that we'd, we distilled into some samples, we both blind pick the same two and said these are these ones, these are mm. great. Which I still find a kind of weird moment in our history as a company. <laughs> you know, you know, we're, we're big used to said you you both pick the same two and I was like, that's impossible. Mm. Um, and they really do have such an, a unique and interesting character that it's gonna be really exciting to see what happens when we 
put some maturity into them and see how, how they develop. I, I think that's use. going to be a really a real eye-opener for people coming to the whiskey distillery. So, so in, in any given year, we, we probably intend to, to be working with three yeast strains. Um, one of them will be a more standard distilling strain, and then the other two sort of derive from our research program. And you know, when you taste the spirits created from these um, from these yeast strains, the same grain, the same stills, the same equipment, but the variation in flavour in these spirits is just extraordinary. Um, I, and as uh, Paddy says, it was you know we we really were stunned by the results of it. Um, but possibly, you know, there's no doubt there are people in bigger whiskey companies who go, oh, we did this research 20 years ago, you know. <laughs> but, but, but they didn't tell anybody. You know, they didn't tell anyone. <laughs> and for us, it was absolutely fascinating. So um, it's it's a very, it's not the sexiest bit of the production, you know. Copper stills look a lot nicer. Um, you know, everyone loves a cask. But it, it's it's alchemy, you know, the the, 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 the power of the yeast is quite extraordinary. So, um, you know, it, it's it's really... The, 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 the flavour potential that's in the barley is the yeast that just picks out those esters and decides which ones it's going to enhance. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's not just the yeast strain itself, but how, uh, you know, how you ferment it. Um, and that's the next thing we need to learn. Um, you know, throughout our research programme, we were using uh, controlled uh, temperature and, and fermentation time. Well, some of these yeasts might prefer a shorter fermentation, longer fermentation, you know, whatever it might be. So there, there's so many variables for us to play with um, over time. So, yeah. Subject of the economics. Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> we, have to, we, have to, we have to pay the piper at some point. So the, um, yeah, the yields are are important, but the uh, yeah. paddy from finance kills all the paddy from accounts ruins <laughs> ruins lab testing. Other than picking the same two samples, were there any other surprises that came out of of trying the different yeast types in fermentation? Some um, horrible ones. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Kind of, yeah. you, you expect them all to be acceptable, and yet I think it was the sake ones just didn't work at all. Mm. Um, I think it was a rum one that was revolting. Mm. There, there was this really, you know, fainty, huge amounts of kind of uh, um, uh, that sort of sulfurous notes. And what's but what's interesting is maybe if you took those ones and stuck them in a cask for ten years you would get a completely different effect at the end of it. And mm. maybe there's a point to say, let's find the most, you know, revolting one and do that for six months yeah. and see what happens. You know, because, you know, uh, numic on the nose is very, very different than, you know, 10-year-olds. So there could be an interesting progression of those ones through, through the years. So it's possible just... that we rejected some yeast strains because they weren't allowed to perform at their optimum level as well. Yeah. Had they been allowed to ferment for longer. But so... give them another day or something in the... Indeed. But largely speaking, I think it's fair to say that uh, we, we found most success looking at brewing strains. Um, and that makes a lot of sense because that's where the whiskey industry used to get its yeast from. You know, there the used to be a symbiotic relationship between a distillery and the local brewery. Um, and they, they'd go along and take a bucket of yeast from their, uh, from their local brewery and that's what they'd be uh, pitching their, their, their wash with. Um, you know, over time, through incredible research, they created distillers yeast that, that is in itself a, you know, a scientific marvel. Uh, and, and it you know, has incredible efficiency, creating the most amount of alcohol possible um, from a wash. Um, and you know, that's great if, if your goal is to make sure, uh, you know, as much whiskey if, as efficiently as possible. And uh, I remember we were talking to, to someone who was behind this research and going, you know, it's not bad, you know, it's, this was incredible work. And go, it really was, it really was, absolutely. Um, but you know, for, for us, that, that efficiency piece isn't our, our central goal. Um, we think that there's, that there's uh, 
this excitement and the flavour here. The challenge, there is still a challenge as well, in that you know, if you're creating these delicate and intriguing flavours in your new make, that they don't then get overpowered in the maturation process. Um, and that, that is going to be a significant challenge, you know, where uh, we, we, we want to ensure that um, uh, in our fi fi uh, finished whisky, you know, when you're drinking the Portly Single Malt, you are uh, recognizing those fresh fruit, fruit flavor characteristics that you get from the, the fermentation, you know, in balance with the, the secondary or tertiary notes that you get from maturation. Um, so, you know, that's the next bit that we need to master. Um, yeah, it's not to overpower what we've created because they are, they are quite delicate notes and we do need to give them a bit of, bit of room to breathe in the, in the maturation policy. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about the beginning. What does this new scotch look like? Is there What's a the flavour profile? What's the end, end result? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think just like with our research programme, we always said we, we are prepared to be results-led. You know, we're not going out going, with the, this is the whisky we want to make specifically. Um, but I think if there's one thing that, that's always hooked Paddy and I about whisky, it's, it's the word complexity. Um, and and uh, I think whisky is capable of greater complexity than any other uh, beverage out there in the world. It, it, it is truly extraordinary the number of flavors it can harness. Um, you know, uh, wine is capable of this as well, but I think wine, in many ways, you need to train a lot harder and really sort of uh, get to know it, you know, uh, intimately before you're able to identify those necessarily. Mm. Whereas I think even a layman can, can be given a whiskey and identify maybe two flavors or, or aromas in there. And, you know, truly great whiskey, my goodness, you know, it can just, can just evolve in your mouth, you know, and, 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 and take you on a whole roller coaster of flavors. So uh, I think it, we do want to create an incredibly complex whiskey. And to do that, it, it probably has to be a more delicate style. And, you know, we, we talk about regionality in whiskey and it's a bit of a misnomer these days because so many, you know, it's been so disregarded <laughs> in many ways by, by others. But, to some extent, the lowland style actually is, uh, you know, suits quite well, you know, uh, what we're trying to achieve in that we do want a delicate style so that those delicate flavours um, can be, you know, identified um, in the finished product. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, complexity and balance, I think, are the two key, key watchwords that we're, we're taking with us to, to uh, for, for the end product. Uh, and I think if, you, if we look at the output of what we've, we've got to play with, We've got a really, um, you know, we've, we've built up these relationships with these cask producers who, you know, some, some exquisite sherry casks from, from, from Jerez, from our, our producer there, um, some really, really lovely port casks. We've got some, some, we're working directly with a couple of quite small bourbon producers in the US um, on, on getting hold of some, you know, again, these are quite, you know, it's not like go to Suntory and buy whatever you, mm. whatever you can get hold of. It, it's working very specifically with people who take care of their product as well, which means that the casks we're going to get hold of um, will, will, be, will be the best we can find. And then allowing the, the, the blenders in, in eight years' time to have access to all of that, that whiskey and all the different woods and to create something that, that as Ian mentioned, just has that, that beautiful layers of complexity. Um, and the idea is that, you know, there's only, because of course it's a vintage and you've got one, one go, each year you get a certain number of bottles and then that's it, it's gone. And we'll do lots of fun things with the stuff that we don't bottle as the vintage, but there will be a certain number of bottles of that. And then the following year, you know, we don't want it to be this horrible collector's item. It has to be drunk. You know, whiskey is made to be drunk. And we, we absolutely do not want people to be collecting it and, 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 and keeping it for posterity. It's a waste. You, you, you buy it, you drink it, and you come back next year and, and you try and, you know, maybe you've got 
a wee bit left that you can compare against the previous year. But mm -hmm. it's it's all about enjoying it, you know. And I think we, we're trying desperately to create a an ecosystem that allows us to sell it at a very affordable price. It's you know, and 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 keep it accessible to everybody. And crucially, that then they drink it rather than they, they try and hold it. You know. Just touching on the bourbon barrels, actually. Um, you know, obviously, we have a great sherry producer and port producer. Um, one of the first whiskey distilleries outside of the UK that Paddy and I visited was Kings County in New York. Mm -hmm. And they're an incredible inspiration to us, actually. We, we, at the time, and this is going back, I guess, to 2014, was it, yeah. when we went out there? And it, it felt like so much excitement in the whiskey world was actually happening outside Scotland. And sure enough, in New York, you know, Kings County was one of the first new whiskey distilleries in, in it's the, the, it's the first, first in New York State. distilling yeah. license in New York since Prohibition. And since then, wow. there are now more whiskey distilleries in New York State than there are in Scotland. Like the, the you know, the absolute sort of explosion of whiskey uh, in, in America was just extraordinary. And it felt like that was happening in America, Australia, Southeast Asia, everywhere except Scotland. But Kings County, was such an exciting place for us, and, and it's incredible for us now that we're we're shipping their barrels, um, and that's what going to be. Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're very similar. They started making bourbon in their bedroom kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And, and they, when when I very first visited there, they hadn't even received a proper still. They were still making whiskey on on kind of bootleg off eBay things. They had five of these kind of like tiny stills running on hot plates on the ground. Um, and they had a you know a big hole where they're like this is where our facade still is going to be put but we haven't got hold of it yet. Um, and since then you know they've grown and grown and you know we've got some of the bourbon on the rack here. It's just delicious. You know yeah. they've really honed their game completely, but from zero. You know, yeah. and and I think that's it gave us a lot of the impetus to say well if they can do it why can't you do it? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk a bit about the quality control division and what it's all about. Yeah, so like any kind of new whiskey distillery, I guess, you know, there's a bit of a standard thing that you create, like a founders club. And I ever thought, well, you know, we could do that, but it's just looks a bit boring. <laughs> so we thought it, the thing that we can offer as, as founders of a whiskey distillery is the fun that we get as founders of a whiskey distillery. And for me, you know, before we got into this, but when you're going around whiskey distilleries, the bit that always excited me the most is you get a glimpse into the samples room and all these little bottles of samples drawn from casks that, you know, that they're using for their blending and, and, and uh, quality control, you know, analysis. Um, and so we thought, well, if we're going to create something like that, why don't we give someone that sort of behind-the-scenes access that they wouldn't normally get to to uh, a whiskey distillery? And so that was kind of the, the genesis of the idea, is 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 sharing the fun, the, the mm. intrigue that, that we get as, as whiskey enthusiasts, you know, who, who kind of have the keys to the sweet shop. Um, and so that that's really it with the quality control division, that, that insight into where we're going to be drawing off uh, samples each year from our casks, and so you can see the way that, that our whiskey is going to evolve. But more specifically, we're doing it with the, our two sort of key yeast strains. So um, uh, one of them, uh, a Belgian ale uh, yeast strain, that's, um, we'll, we'll be drawing off a, a sample of that each year for, for seven years um, as that matures in a, in a sherry cask. And then the other one, Voskvik, which is a Norwegian farmhouse. Uh, Norwegian farmhouse ales. Yeah. The mm -hmm. most hipster yeast you can imagine. <laughs> and one of the most expensive yeasts you can possibly yeah. imagine as well. Um, uh, and yeah, again, you, you'll get to see, see how these evolve in a way that I've certainly never been able to do with a whiskey distiller. And one of the most fascinating tastings we, we ever did actually was uh, 
a colleague of ours who joined us from another whiskey distillery, and he was able to bring samples of, of their whiskey, you know, the new make, six month, 12 month, and 18 month. And it was absolutely fascinating and intriguing to us. And actually, I think a real eye-opener as well in terms of you know, the, the preconceptions we have about maturation and age equals better, etc. And actually seeing how you know, that cask really hits hard from very early on. Um, and you know, making that call on, on when, when is enough. And, and, um, and indeed, you know, by, by sharing this process with members of the, the QCD, um, we intend to bring them along to the distillery once a year and get their take on how our whiskey is evolving as well and, and you know, be able to share in the process and, and, and get a lot more opinions as we yeah, go. But that, the, the first six months was, was the most striking change in, in the whiskey. And, and you know, it, it, obviously, the, it doesn't tail off, it doesn't go backwards, but there was, there was definitely a huge amount of, ha of things happening in, the, in those early early years and I think that was something that we really wanted to, to share and I, and I think it's being able to have them all lined up in front of you and to kind of like taste through the years in one go and, <clears throat> and so this is where the concept of sending out a, a, an annual kind of cask sample to everybody rather than just if you know sometimes you get it if you buy a whole cask but that's kind of out of most people's reach and the idea here was to create something more affordable and more, more accessible for the average person just to have that kind of that, that fun journey through the years. You, you do eventually get that kind of standard Founders Club thing of uh, you'll get, you get a, a full bottle of single cask whiskey, which is not something we intend to release uh, in a standard way. So there is that sort of exclusive element. And the, uh, the other bit of it is, is one of the key, the, the seven values that we sort of govern our, our company by, and the seventh is we, we have parties and we invite our friends to parties. And so um, this is basically a group of people who we can invite to parties uh, once a year at the distillery as well, because we like to do that. And we're going to have a very fun place to have parties. So there we go. That's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all about using, you know, we've built this ridiculous facility in Leeds. We want to use it to its max. You know, if there's an empty night in there, we've, we've failed. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's, uh, you know, having the quality control division, it, it creates a sense of community as well mm. and hopefully brings everyone together um, throughout that process. I, I, absolutely. And I, and I think this is sort of, it's, it's part of, again, what we wanted to do from the beginning was not be that exclusive you know, ivory tower of whiskey that sort of every now and then opens the back door and throws a few cases out because there you go, here's the scraps for you peons. You know, it was much more about bringing people along the journey with us and having them, you know, I mean, crucially, come and, and hang out at the distillery and use the, use the place. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a public building. It needs to be used, otherwise it, it dies. And, and, and at the same time, influence how we, you know, because people have crazy ideas and they're, at some point, someone's going to walk in there with an idea that we haven't had, and we'll be like, oh, we can just totally steal that. <laughs> this is a whiskey distillery, you know, founded by two friends on a sofa who were whiskey enthusiasts. It's not, you know, by industry veterans or, you know, a, a large company yeah. wanting to go into this area. So we we are those people, you know, that, that would form this community. and. We, we just, it, it, we have to pinch ourselves that we've got the keys to this place um, and we want to share it, you know, and, and, and share the fun. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's kind of terrifying to think back at how little we actually knew when we started about making whiskey, building buildings, you know, and you very quickly have to learn how to bluff in a room full of whiskey veterans about, you know, because you get invited to a dinner or something mm -hmm. and someone will mention, you know, a yield and then a, a three-letter acronym and then a number and you have to sort of nod sagely, oh wow, that's good. Um, and, and you have to sort of learn these, the, the, you know, these concepts and, and eventually you kind of get there. But I think coming in very naively gives you access to kind of asking questions that maybe other people, you know, either don't want to ask or maybe they ask but they didn't really 
follow through with the concept before. Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah, we, we've had no shame about appearing very stupid. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> I always love actually to say to people, you know, if they say something you don't understand, just say, I'm sorry, I don't understand, can you explain that? And it suddenly puts the other person on the back foot, and they suddenly have to go, oh God, you, mean, you want to explain nitrogen levels in part? <laughs> I don't know. High is bad, and low is good, and that's about as far as I can get. <laughs> Um, and plans for the coming year because it's, it's kind of all coming together um, I had a look at your Instagram building's looking good uh, how needs clean needs clean, okay um, so is there anything you can reveal about the next year what's expected and... yeah, every time we say too much the, the, the schedule changes and it gets delayed but the, the outlook is currently I mean we're going to have an exciting February because the, the stills are finally going to be installed so that's, that's awesome um, and then we, we expect to be commissioning in sort of April, May. So, you know, the, the, they should be fired up and, and spirit coming off the still mm -hmm. um, uh, in the spring. We, the, the other key bit is the fit out, you know, for, for visitors. Um, we hope to get that completed um, by May. So at the moment we're sort of saying early, early summer. Mm -hmm. um, I say late spring. Yeah. Um, you know, I think late, late spring sounds better. I'm sort of coordinating the fit out, so I say early yeah. summer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coordinating the process, which means it might be actually finished before the fit out guys be finished, which means I'm okay. So I think, yeah, the, the, the process element will be finished before we're ready for people to come and have a look, yeah. uh, which is actually better because I'd rather let them get to grips with the equipment before we have sort of people coming in and peering over their shoulders and saying, you're doing that wrong. Yeah. Um, we've had sort of, that there is so much to do this year. But it, we do actually have so many of the pieces in place. You know, our grain, uh, our first uh, harvest has been, you know, grown and it's waiting for us um, out in uh, Haddington. I signed um, a contract literally this morning. There we go. Uh, mm -hmm. our, our, uh, our casks are, are all waiting for us. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're about to ship some of those. So all the pieces are in place. We've, we've uh, appointed our, our, our whiskey distiller, Vebav, who's absolutely incredible and, and running the show for us now on, on, on that front we have a huge amount of recruitment to do still you know we're, we're recruiting for a distiller now and, and various other roles you know um currently we're about 30 people in the company we're probably going to be close to 60 to 70 people you know by the end of this year so it's kind of fun to think of all these people we haven't met who are going to be working with us um <laughs> uh, but before the year's through um so there is a, there's a huge amount to do but um it feels as though the, the, the pieces are falling into place, um, uh, roughly speaking. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think there's, we, we, we've been saying for so, so long, I'm not quite sure I'm going to do that, let's just get into the building and we'll work it out. And I think we've got various plans, but the crucial thing is just to get it open and see how people use the space. You know, are people going to come down on Monday morning if, you know, if we offer breakfast? Are they going to come down for evening you know, jazz and whiskey nights on a, on a Sunday night? You know, how, what, what events can we, we use to attract people down there that are going to, people are going to find fun? And, and that's the fun part in a way, mm. is working out what the best use of the space is, yeah. um, whilst also allowing our whiskey guys to just sit there and crack on and just produce, 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 because the more whiskey we can get into the warehouse, on you know early the, the more we have to, to play with down the line yeah it's fun over the years Paddy and I have had to sort of evolve in, into different kind of professionals you know to, to begin with we were kind of corporate financiers trying to raise money then we had to learn how to be architects and building sort of designers project and, managers you know, yeah project managers and contractors then we had to become gin distillers and learn how to you know get HMRC to approve these things how do you make gin marketeers branding all these things um, soon we're going to have to learn how to run a bar. I'm learning an awful lot about commercial kitchens right now and you know, <laughs> how you run that stuff. It's kind of intriguing, you know, our, our jobs keep evolving throughout this and it's been endlessly fascinating. Um, 
I, I think that's that's the key thing, is it just never stops being incredibly good fun. Um, so, um, and then at some point this building will be finished and ru running, and you know, I, we've always said to ourselves, we're never doing this again, never, never again. And our architect said to me, um, last time I said that to him, he said, don't be silly, of course you'll do it again. <laughs> you know? And I think there's, there's now kind of <clears throat> starting to cast around for like, oh, what other ideas do we have for, for further expansion? Because you know, running one whiskey distillery is great fun, running two whiskey distilleries might be even more fun. So there's, there's, we're beginning to look into other ideas of what we can do around, around Scotland or around the world for, for, for a, a third distillery. You have two already. Two already. But we will get this one open first. <laughs> Thanks to Ian and Paddy for taking the time to share their passion and stories with Whiskey Talk. We'll be back soon with more whiskey stories, but in the meantime, you can always get in touch by email at unfiltered at smws.com. Until the next time on Whiskey Talk, cheers! Cheers!